Uh, as the ushers come, I'll just uh, tell you, I was uh, thinking this morning specifically about what it is that sets our church apart. There are many things that every church wants to be, and while we are very grateful for the many things that are available to the body of Christ, specifically in this community, uh, there are some things that really we ought to make sure that's who we are. I remember years ago sitting in a seminar and um, the pastor was speaking. He said, we need to identify what it is that differentiates us from the other churches in our community. And as I prepared this morning, the thought went through my mind, what is it that makes us different from other churches? And by the way, there are some great churches, so it's not as if I'm identifying them as they're all going to hell. What makes us different ought to be the fact that the Spirit of God is very much present in this place. It ought to be the fellowship that is present within those who are in the body of Christ so that when we hurt, other people hurt alongside us. We know that we are loved. When people celebrate, all of us celebrate together because, again, we are loved. We ought to sense the presence of God in everything that we say and do, every relationship that we have, every service that we hold. That ought to be what makes us different. I want you to see the presence of God in the messages, and I want you to sense the presence of God in the music. I want you to know that the presence of God is real, but He is real. It goes beyond what we do here on Sunday morning. We need to make sure that that is what identifies us as the body of Christ and what makes us unique. Now, I'm going to tell you, none of that has anything to do with my message today, but that's what's been going through my heart and mind this morning, and I just felt like I needed to start with that today. What is it that sets us apart? What makes us different? It ought to be the presence of God uh, here in our midst. Let me ask you this morning, are you successful? What measure do you use to determine your success? The world may measure by profit. How much are you earning? Some may measure by prosperity. What do you own already? What are the things that are already in your possession? Or maybe by prestige. In other words, how high are you climbing that corporate ladder? How much respect you have in the community? How does God measure success? We, we know how the world does. How does God measure, measure success? We'll see from scriptures that God measures success by faithfulness. Last week, we looked at God's faithfulness in the midst of his silence. When it seems as if God is not there, if he is not listening, he is not responding, he is still faithful. Today, I want to look at the need for our faithfulness, regardless of the situation that we're in. So how faithful are you to God? Faithfulness is not a virtue that is appreciated all that much in our society today. Unfortunately, we see this displayed in marriages. We see it in employment relationships and sometimes, regrettably, even in the church. Many who we expect to be faithful have proven to be anything but faithful. So why should we remain faithful? Well, God wants us to be faithful to what he has called us to do. And that in itself, regardless of whether others choose to be faithful or not, that ought to be enough for us. The reason we ought to be faithful is because that's what God desires of us. 
He won't measure you based on what other people think of you or how many good things you've accomplished or even how many have responded to the gospel message because of you. These are all very important things and we want them. But these are all things that should naturally flow out of faithfulness, which is what God truly seeks in us. There's a story, it's in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was experiencing great difficulty with his ministry in this church in Corinth. If we were to go by popularity and numbers, we would have to say that Paul's ministry at Corinth doesn't seem to be very successful. People are judging him, but listen to what he tells them in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. True success is not measured in terms of what man can see, but in terms of what God sees. My judge, says Paul, is not man or even myself, but God. And how will God judge me? He actually answers that in the first two verses of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who, who, who have been given a trust must prove faithful. God desires, he expects his people to be faithful, faithful to God and the work that God has entrusted to us. You know, it's easy for us to remain faithful when everything is going well in our lives. I remember doing a wedding several years ago for a couple in Pennsylvania. The bride got choked up with something in her throat, which happens from time to time. But what made this humorous was when it happened. She was in the middle of her vows and she said, for richer and for... <coughs> she tried to do it again, for richer... <coughs> and she sounded like Fonzie trying to say that he was wrong. She couldn't get that word poorer out. It's easy to say richer because, man, I tell you what, it's easy for us to be faithful to each other when everything's good. But the moment things don't go the way we plan, perhaps it's not quite as easy. Obviously, this was funny when it happened. But what's not funny is that far too often, when things get difficult or stressful, that's when people jump ship on their marriages. The same thing happens in workplaces or in schools, and it even happens in churches. If the church feels led to do something that you don't like, that's okay. You'll just leave. There's another church down the road that'll take you. Forget the fact that God called you to that church to be God's instrument in that particular environment. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are times that a church may be heading down a very dangerous, even immoral path, and that the best thing for you to do is to leave in that case. I also understand that there are times that God will release you from a church, but that doesn't happen just because you disagree with someone else. In my first church, I was a brand new youth pastor. I had been there two weeks and I realized that we had a problem. 
I won't go into all the details of what took place, but I will say that it was in regard to staff relationships. I remember calling my predecessor, the guy who was the youth pastor there before me, he and I had been friends for many years, and he confirmed that what I was experiencing was the same thing that he had experienced. I told him that I was done. I was leaving. How can a ministry flourish with stuff like this going on? His response was simple and short. He asked me this question. Are you leaving because of a problem or because God released you from that ministry? Well, the truth was that I hadn't even asked God about the problem. I hadn't asked God what he wanted. I was simply angry. So I began to pray. And as I prayed, God made it clear that this ministry could never and should never be about me or my emotional feelings. God had placed me in that location, and I would need to be faithful to the calling until God released me from it. By the way, God would leave me there for another seven years, and we would see incredible fruit. Many of the folks we worked with are now serving in full-time Christian ministry, and many more received Christ. But if I had left when I wanted to, then none of that would have happened. Again, it's easy to remain faithful when everything is going great in your life and everything is going the way you plan, but God calls us to be faithful regardless of the circumstance. We see this model for us in Psalm chapter 22. You can turn there if you would. It's a psalm of David that was likely originally related to his own life. He wasn't necessarily writing for generations to come, but he was addressing things that were taking place in his life at that time. It's possible that this is a reflection of his unhealthy relationship with the former King Saul. Or maybe it was just him dealing with his own tumultuous reign as king. Certainly he would face constant battles, sometimes even from within, as his own son would attempt to take the throne from him. But as we read it, it's also very easy to see why this is viewed also as a messianic psalm, pointing to Christ and his crucifixion. In fact, we see that in the very first verse. It's a familiar verse that Christ repeated in the crucifixion story. It simply says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was Christ's prayer of agony as he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the exact same thing that David prayed here. Maybe at some point or another, you have prayed that type of prayer. You felt abandoned in your suffering. But let me step on your toes for just a moment this morning. It is possible that things are really bad in your life and you may feel as if you are all alone, but it is also just as possible that things are not as bad as you think they are. I know, in the middle of it, man, it seems significant. I got junk that's going on in my life. How in the world can you tell me this isn't a big deal? And the only thing I can tell you is maybe it's not really as bad as in your mind you have made it out to be. Hebrews 12.4 reminds us that we may have suffered, but not yet to the point of shedding our own blood like Christ himself did. And consider what led to Jesus' prayer of agony. 
knowing what was to come, he passionately prayed that God would find another way. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He prayed passionately asking God to change the circumstance, but he didn't. His prayer was so passionate that he began to sweat drops of blood. He would then be betrayed by his very own disciples as they acted in selfishness and fear. The very same people he would come to redeem, they would cry out in judgment against him, crucify him, crucify him. He would be beaten. He would be abused and spit upon. Psalm 22, 7 says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. Well, Jesus would be mocked by all those who would be present even one of the criminals hanging nearby. And listen to Psalm 22, verse 8. No doubt this is fulfilled by the Pharisees as they shouted at Jesus. It says, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. And all four Gospels record the fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18, where it says, they divide my clothes among them. And cast lots for my garment. When Jesus prayed that prayer, when Jesus prayed that God would basically provide another way, when Jesus prayed, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus had endured much turmoil and brokenness. I'm not saying that your hurt is insignificant. But let's keep it in perspective as the prayer that Jesus prayed. So by the time Jesus prays this prayer, he has already endured much. At any point, Jesus could have put a stop to the suffering, but he refused. He was faithful to the end. No doubt that a part of that faithfulness is the result of knowing that this God whom he prayed to, he had always been faithful in everything. He knew his father well. That means that the son could be confident in God's faithfulness even in the midst of suffering. And you can too. Obviously, that was the crux of last week's message. Although God may seem silent at times, he is always faithful. He has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. But God also calls us to be faithful. David is aware of God's faithfulness. Listen to the way he words it in Psalm 22, verse 3 through 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. My question to you today is how has God shown himself faithful to you? In your own life. Consider all that God has done, all that He has brought you through. Do you really think that He would abandon you now? You can trust in Him because He has been faithful in ages past. But you know, the real issue is not God's faithfulness, the real issue is us. What I mean by that is we already know that he is faithful and we may feel alone at times, but we even know that God is there with us. 
The real issue is that in the midst of our brokenness, we often fail to see anything else. We know our weakness. We know our failures, our hurts, and our anger. The psalmist refers to himself as not even being a man, but instead he refers to himself as a worm, the lowest of life forms, having no capability to even defend itself. Let me interpret what he is saying for you. My life stinks. Now, David wouldn't have been the first one to say something like this. And you think about it. Now, David is a young man. He's the youngest of all of his brothers. You can understand why he might feel this way, because as the youngest, he is not well respected. Even when the opportunity comes for Samuel to come and anoint the next king of Israel, David isn't even a part of the conversation. Now, God says he should be, and eventually David is anointed as king. But he's the youngest, the smallest the most immature, probably physically. His brothers kind of look down on him when he shows up and the battle with Goliath. Here he is, he comes to bring a meal and who do you think you are? You're just a kid. But it would be that kid who would stand up to Goliath. He already knows he's going to be the king one day. He has done nothing but be loyal and faithful to King Saul. Yet King Saul wants him killed. In fact, on many occasions, we see him making attempts on David's life. Can you understand why you might be a little frustrated? I haven't done anything wrong. I was just trying to be good and faithful, and God's promised me something wonderful, and I'll wait my time out. David was one who you can understand why he might think things weren't very good. But David wouldn't have been the only one. Old Testament Joseph might have said it as he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, he was falsely imprisoned and forgotten even by his fellow prisoners. But he would end up as second in command over all of Egypt. Perhaps Daniel said it when he was taken captive by the Babylonians. Yet he would end up as an advisor in the Babylonian king's court. What's interesting is that in each of these cases, the brokenness and the suffering that would have caused them to declare, my life stinks, would eventually lead them to incredible opportunity and blessing. Certainly, King David would know blessing as perhaps the greatest king of Israel, certainly the most loved king of Israel, the one that God himself would refer to as a man after God's own heart. But we see the brokenness, and in the moment, it stinks. So what do you do when it stinks? The psalmist prays a prayer of comfort and strength. He repeats the prayer twice with slightly different wording. In verse 11, he says, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Then in verse 19, we read, But you, Lord, do not be far from me, for you are my strength. Come quickly to help me. The point is that we will face difficulty, but when that time comes, we can and should call upon God. Remember that he has been faithful, so he'll be faithful again. You may feel like you're all alone, but stay the course God will grant you strength and courage to fulfill his calling and his purpose in your life. 
Consider for a moment just the individuals that I mentioned to you earlier. What if the Old Testament Joseph, what if Joseph had given up? Speaking of his own suffering and betrayal, he was talking to his brothers, the same ones who did betray him. He would declare in Genesis 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What would have happened had he given up? How many lives would not have been saved? Even his brothers, his entire family would be saved simply because of what they went through. All the difficulty, all the pain, it would lead to the rescue of many people. What about Daniel? Probably the most familiar episode in Daniel's life was when he was unjustly thrown into the lion's den. The king was manipulated into punishing Daniel, resulting in certain death, yet God would deliver Daniel, and then this Babylonian king would make an incredible decree. Remember that this is an ungodly Gentile king. Listen to what it says in Daniel 6, 25 through 27. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. And then listen to this. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Did you see what just happened there? Faithfulness in the midst of suffering resulted in an opportunity to praise the Lord. In this case, it was an ungodly king who was standing by watching and almost in amazement. I cannot believe that a God would do that. He now declares that all of you ought to be worshiping this God. In our case, it may be a world of people that are overwhelmed by the reality that there is hope in the midst of brokenness. I've had the privilege of working with many who have come out of pain and sorrow, some out of addiction. One of the things that I love is when the rest of the world begins to take notice. They hear statements like, I've been watching you for a long time, and I want whatever it is that you've got. They hear statements like this, if God can change you, then maybe God can change me too. Faithfulness matters. How we respond in the midst of our brokenness, our situations that seem beyond our control, it does impact the rest of the world. And it gives the opportunity not only for you to express praise for what he has done for us, but even for the watching world as they begin to recognize that while they woke up this morning feeling there was no hope, they now realize there is hope. And it is found in Jesus Christ. The psalmist even takes 
this journey through struggle and faithfulness as an opportunity to praise the Lord. He says in verses 22 and the first part of 23, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Later, it would be James who would understand this idea as he would encourage the believers to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that such trials are for our good. Again, they may not feel good at the time. When you're in the middle of it, it stinks, but they will result in strength and perseverance and maturity. And for that, we can praise God. Every one of us will face junk. I don't know, maybe you're not today. And if not, man, that's awesome. I celebrate with you. I fear that tomorrow you might. What are you facing right now that would cause you great heartache and brokenness? I've spoken today with individuals who are dealing with cancer, Individuals who have family members that are having heart troubles and they're concerned for their health. Multiple individuals in that category. Talked with one individual today who is worried about a job because right now the job that they had is no longer reliable. It may be there tomorrow, but it may not. What are you facing today? Are you ready to give up? Or will you be faithful? What about in your family? Are you ready to give up on that marriage, on that child, maybe even on your parents? What about in your job? Are you ready to give up because it just doesn't seem like you're moving as fast as you would like? What about in the church? Will you be faithful? Many years ago, Steve Green wrote a song that has brought much encouragement over the years to me. It says this, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. I go back to Paul's encouragement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. God has entrusted you with much. He has given you incredible blessings, but along with that, he has also given you a great calling and a great responsibility. Let him find you faithful in your stewardship of that call. And may your faithfulness light the way for other people. Will you be the man and the woman of God that you've been called to be? Not just today when everything's good, but in the midst of all the junk. Will you be faithful to the end? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we come before you today, and I want to begin by simply thanking you for those who have been faithful in front of me. Thank you for those who have been faithful to keep your word in spite of others who have fallen short. Thank you for the faithfulness of those 
who perhaps are physically, emotionally hurting, but they have stayed the course. And they have become an example to myself and to others that we can walk in victory in spite of all the junk. What I think of some of the folks who have even been a part of this church over the many, many years of a great heritage. I think of Martha Evett. I thank you for her faithful example. I thank you for the love that she displayed, not only for this church, but for you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless her as she continues down this journey. But we know that she's got more years behind her than she does in front of her. And I just pray that you would allow those who come after her to walk in that same faithfulness that she has walked in. Thank you for Willett and the love that he displayed. The faithfulness that said, I will make God first in my life regardless of what else happens. Thank you for Wallace Moon and his faithfulness to you. I pray that you would continue to work in his uh, family's life, but I pray more than anything that you would allow each of us to be a legacy that is worth having, that we would walk in the same faithfulness that we've seen modeled in front of us. And then I pray for the generation that comes after us, that they would find us faithful as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in such a way that when others look at our lives, they would say, whatever it is that they have, I want. I want to praise their God because that is the God that delivered them and he is the God who can deliver us. Lord, may we live in such a way that the world would take notice and give you praise. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be strengthened, to be filled with your grace. I pray that we would constantly be aware that your grace is sufficient for us even though we go through all this stuff. Lord, may you be honored as we represent you to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that my God is able to carry you through it. But I also know he doesn't want you to give up. Stay faithful. Believe that the same God who called you to it, that he will enable you to do it. But we must be faithful in that journey. I do thank you for being a part of our service today. And we will continue in this series on silence next week. Uh, God, sometimes in the midst of silence, we can always know he's faithful. And when he is silent, we can still be faithful as well. I challenge you to do so today. Thank you for being with us and go in peace.